0: This episode of the Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Wisdom Tree Coaching. If your organization needs coaching for your managers to get them through those hurdles and focus factors, please visit our sponsor, Wisdom Tree Coaching, to check out their options for individual coaching and group and team coaching. They also offer their really popular course, Coaching as a Discipline for Managers. For more information, check them out at wisdomtreecoaching.com, or you can call them at 304- 549-4630 well hello and welcome to this episode of the boss builder podcast the podcast for those of you who are newly promoted to the role of the boss those of you who are in the role and need some help and even those of you who are thinking about eventually making the transition to management. As the boss, one of the things that should concern you is risk. What are some things that could cause your organization harm, financial or otherwise? Our guest today is Carl Pritchard. Carl Pritchard is the principal and founder of Pritchard Management Associates. Carl is also known as the risk guy. He is well known in the world of project management and he's going to talk to us today about what the boss needs to know about risk. He'll give you some things to pay attention to, he'll list out some of the mistakes that corporations make, he'll talk to you about a very meaningful interview he had a number of years ago in a prior job, and he will give you the one most important question you need to ask if you want to be successful in managing risk. So with no further delay, let's meet our guest Carl Pritchard. (laughs) Carl Pritchard. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mac. Yeah, Carl, I've known you for a number of years now, and I've got some questions for you this morning, primarily around risk and and some of the things you've done. But before we get to those questions, I was hoping maybe you could share a little bit of your background with the audience uh, who are primarily newly promoted supervisors, those who are in the role and struggling, and even some of those who are kicking the tires, trying to figure out if maybe they should try one day to be the boss.
1: Well, I've been a a manager and a project manager for over 25 years. I've been working with the project management community. I'm one of the authors of what's called the Guide to the Project Management Body of Knowledge, or the PIMBOK. And I'm also the U.S. correspondent for the British Project Management magazine, Project Manager Today. So basically, I am not only the fun guy of project management, I'm one of the official project management
0: geeks. So you are the man when it comes to project management. And I remember you introducing yourself as the risk guy uh, a number of years ago. And I definitely want to get into that. But before I get into these questions, one thing that I do want to share with the audience, uh, because you know, I interview boss builders, which you are one of those people. But I also, as much as possible, try to interview those of you who have been recognized as being a great boss. So Carl, you probably don't remember this. The first time I met you, I believe it was 2002. I was doing a Myers-Briggs workshop for a company called DDD Company. It was in Baltimore. And uh, you were actually going to do a talk, I believe, on motivation. And so I noticed you kind of coming in the room and it freaked me out a little bit because I was it was really my first paid gig trying to start off on my own. And I remember you coming up at the end and saying, you know, you're really good. You're really good. And I have to tell you that that was an inspiration to continue doing what i'm doing. so before i ask you about your stuff, i want to thank you. and i bring that up because as the boss, part of your role is to create a vision in others. it's it's to take an interest in their development and Carl, you have done that for me and i am grateful.
1: oh, well thank you so much. i appreciate you remembering that.
0: <laughs> sure. well, let's get on to risk. so there is risky business, there are risky investments, there's the game of risk. and so I want to talk to you about risk. And so the first question I have is, do organizations and bosses in particular tend to manage risk well? And the the short answer is no. And, and, and the, the things they're doing
1: that they're not getting right are so small and easy to fix. And yet- Organizations just keep on saying, well, we should do risk management, and they make risk lists and things like that, and really don't dive into what they should be doing. And that's where the real tragedy is, is they create some kind of, in their own head, we're doing risk now, instead of actually inculcating it into the culture.
0: Well, are there some things that, just based on your experience and observation, that bosses tend to get right? And then conversely, what do they fall short on?
1: Well, they they tend to get right that they want to have the conversation. Almost everybody, as soon as you bring up risk, yeah, we should do that. And they get all excited about the whole notion of doing risk management. What they don't get excited about is the nuts and bolts. And the things that they could be doing right are, are the simplest of things. For one, just learning to say risk. People don't know how to say risk and saying risk is a relatively easy thing. It's the thing that may happen causing an impact and people will say, Oh, what's a risk on the project? Weather, weather in and of itself is not a risk. It may snow causing delays. That's a risk that's specific. It's actionable. There's something associated with it. And, If we could just, if you want to fix one thing today, you can go back to your organization and you can say, when you identify a risk, say it as a full sentence. Here's the bad thing that may happen and the impact it may cause. Do that much and you've taken a quantum leap forward in terms of just sharing risk within the organization. Also, one other thing that they tend to do, organizations tend to have a nasty habit of making risk depressing. And you you mentioned that you met me as the risk guy. And I still have those shoes, by the way, that actually say risk guy across the heel. But um, as the risk guy, I got to tell you, that's the thing that people always walk out of my workshops. They always come out going, I thought this was going to be so dull and so depressing. And. It's not. It's exciting because it's your chance to be clairvoyant, your chance to look into the crystal ball and say, here's all the stuff that might happen. And here's the good news of how we can fix it.
0: Well, that sort of behavior, wouldn't that come across as someone being like the uh, the naysayer, the devil's advocate? Um, My concern is that somebody who's going to bring this up is the one that no one's going to invite to the meetings because they're always the one that throws a wrench into the works.
1: Oh, the gloomy Gus. Absolutely. You know, these, we, we tend to get those kinds of labels. And part of the reason is, is because people look at it strictly from the negative side. There's so much brightness and light out there. There really is. And, and the place where it comes from is actually one, one company I worked with years ago, back in the nineties. So that officially dates it, um, But back in the 90s, when I was working with uh, doing some consulting work with ABB, they make power plants and transmission distribution systems. When they presented their risk lists to people, and you would think it's death, death, darkness, evil, and then you die kind of things. And it's not. The inverse is true. When they presented theirs, they'd say, here's the risk event that may happen, the impact it may cause, and if it does come to pass, here's the good news. And it was always that here's the good news piece that sold it. It made it palatable. It made it acceptable. And tragically, too many organizations dive into risk and just look at it the way you're describing, which is sadness and darkness, without looking at here's the happy story at the other side.
0: Well, What type, does it just take experience to learn how to identify risks? Uh, I'm just thinking somebody who's the boss right now is responsible for whatever the outcome is going to be. Is there anything that you might recommend that they do to kind of increase their capacity to anticipate risk?
1: And and honestly, they can do it today. And the, the way they can do it is to simply indulge their negative fantasies. It's uh, it's true. You have all these situations where every single day you see things that happen around you and you have, you know, their risks, but you assume everybody else does. My um, my youngest son is a um, he's a commercial truck driver. And when he was expressing his concerns about his time on the road to me, he he actually said, he said, Dad, you know what I hate more than anything else? And it's like, oh, geez, he's going to start whining. He's going to start complaining. And he didn't. He, to, to his credit, he looked at me square in the eyes and he said, I hate right turns. And and I said, I'm sorry, what? Because he's driving the big big rigs, and he has to make that big wide teacup handle kind of turn to make a right turn. And he said, I hate right turns. You have no idea how much I hate right turns. They're the bane of my existence. I am forever curbing it on the right turns. And as he talked about it, it was compelling because I had never thought about the true bane of a truck driver's existence. And here he was sharing with me what he perceived to be the greatest risk of truck driving, right turns. And that if you had given me a laundry list to simply say, pick the one that is really the bane of their existence, right turns would not have even been there. We need to be the ones who, who recognize all the right turns kind of experiences we have. They, they are to our credit. Everything you've run into in your life, even if your managerial life is non-existent, in your worker bee life, then ta-da, you know, you've got a vast well of experience. You've had a whole bunch of things happen to you. And the good news is that you can actually leverage those. There are times you've looked at your boss and gone, well, duh, what are you thinking? Well, now that you're plugging to be the boss... The exciting thing for you is that you actually have the opportunity to instead say, you know what, when I was still a worker bee, you had a different perspective. You had a richer perspective and all the stuff that has happened to you as a worker bee now redounds to
0: your credit and we should take that credit. I've never thought about it that way, but you're right. There's an entire body of knowledge that you've attained by watching, maybe in some cases, a bad boss above you. So I love it. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's talk about risks that everybody on a project might acknowledge and and maybe even realize how catastrophic it could be. Are there maybe a short list of things to look for?
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting. The Project Management Institute actually did a study, as they are wont to do. Uh, They did a study trying to identify what are the most common risks. And the one that percolated to the top was poorly defined requirements people are not good at telling other people what they want and oddly enough uh mac you'll you'll love this i i have past lives and we were talking about this before we got started here in my previous life before i ever got into project management i had a different management career i was in the media sorry i was the news director at uh, wash radio in washington dc and and as such, as running the news department, one of the things I got to do was interview every celebrity coming through town flacking a book. And one of my guests was Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and now, there. by the way, I am getting to a point here. I just want you to know this, Mac. I'm not off on some insane tangent, but. I was interviewing Mr. Rogers and I was all set to go with the interview and I'd gotten him his coffee and everything else. I got the table all set up, got the mics all arranged and everything. I said, is everything going to be okay, Mr. Rogers? He said, Carl, I just need you to do one thing. I said, sure, Mr. Rogers, what's that? I need you to sit down. I said, okay. And I plopped down in my chair and he said, Carl, I just need you to answer one question and the rest of this interview will go perfectly. I said, what's that? when we're done here, how do you want the world to look different? And I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, when we're done here, how do you want the world to look different? And I expected a lot of things out of Mr. Rogers. I did not expect him to be flipping profound. I really didn't. And and no, I was, I was impressed. I was genuinely impressed because... If you think about it, that's a question we don't ask often enough. And whether you're talking about as a boss, as a worker, as a project manager, as a manager in general, as a dad, as a mom, that's a really powerful question. When we're done here, how would you like the world to look different? And, you know... I, I I went into that interview, a snarky 20-something, and it was like, who's coming in today? Mr. Rogers. I, I walked out of that interview, and it was like, bye, Mr. Rogers. You know, I, I, I can't tell you. I When he passed away, I, I wept. I did. He was a truly great man. And the thing that makes him amazing is he had that kind of insight, and it's insight that's just, well, idiot proof. When you ask somebody that question, it is a service question. It is a, it's an employee question. It's an employer question. It's a boss question. And if you're trying to build yourself up from a risk perspective or from a boss perspective, and you start asking people, look, I, I know what you've, you, you've tasked me to do, but I just want to be clear when we're done here, how do you want the world to look different? Oh my gosh. That's the question people forget to ask. And if they knew the answer. They'd actually have better outcomes. And that's if you're looking for like the number one risk. PMI said poorly defined requirements, the number one risk. But generically speaking, from a business perspective, that's the thing we screw up consistently. And we're very gifted at that because we go off with our assumptions of how the world should look different without their answers to how the world should look different.
0: Wow, it's a communication then that yeah. it sounds like it would make the team feel like they had some skin in the game. Oh, uh, that's absolutely. Hard. Well, let's talk about big picture now, because you're in this world of, of not only project management, but you you talk about risk. So, think about the latest changes in risk standards and risk practices. What is working for you, and and what might need improvement?
1: Um. I, I, I'm of a mind that if you are following any set of practices and you can go out and get the ISOs, you can go out and get the risk standard from PMI, you can get risk standards from a variety of different sources, I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because, frankly, you pick any one of them, anyone at all, and stick to it, be consistent about it adhere to it, follow the practices. Some of them are four steps. Some of them are seven steps. Again, I don't care. All I want is consistency. All I want is people to be able to say risk well, to be able to identify risks and to share that information consistently. If you can do that much, whether you're following one protocol or another is really not my concern. My biggest concern is Are you picking one and doing it consistently? And it's defensible. That's the only reason to actually pick up a standard and follow it, is that at that point, you have the ability to say to others around you, hey, we follow the standard, and that's what we have decided to do. It's similar to or adheres to. And then you can cite the ISO, the PIMBOC, the RISC standard, whichever one you want. Again, it's all a matter of just ensuring you're doing a set of practices and doing them consistently. Oh, I'll tell you how to start. If you've never done this, best thing you can do is become the author of your organization's risk lexicon. If you're the one who writes the dictionary, you're never wrong.
0: Good advice. That's great. Well, Carl, I have a lot of folks who listen to this that are transitioning out of the military, and many of them talk about wanting to get their PMP certification. And since this is an area that you're really an expert in, can you talk a little bit about what that entails, why it's important, should somebody get it, even if they're not going into project management? Uh, three big questions there that I get asked quite often, and now that I got the, the project management guy who still has the wrist shoes somewhere in the closet. Uh, Actually, what I, have
1: them, I have them on my feet right now. I want you to know this. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, expect, don't wear
0: I expected you, know, you to have your slippers on like with Mr. Rogers, but I'll no, take no. the wrist shoes. All right.
1: Yeah, I am wearing my wrist shoes, but that's a story for another day. The, the whole idea behind the PMP is to be able to say, I speak the language, I can talk the talk. Notice what it doesn't say. I can walk the walk. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean it has any less value whatsoever. It's a high value operation, if you will. It's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because it actually says to others, I followed a consistent practice of study. I know how projects are supposed to be managed. If you never have the title project manager, It's still a beautiful thing because it screams to others, I have done the homework and I know how to manage projects because I don't care if you're running a kitchen, I don't care if you are running an event planning organization, you still need to be able to say, I can run a project. And if you have the credential behind you, it works to your benefit a lot of RFPs, a lot of requests for proposal are out there that actually say we need somebody with a certification to prove competence in project management. Can you do it? Yes, it's totally doable. And the only thing is, a lot of these five-day, four-day boot camps are out there and some of them are wonderful. The only thing I would warn against or put a big caveat on is the ones that actually work are the ones that say you're going to have to study 30 to 45 minutes a day every day for about six weeks in order to sit for this exam. And some people are like, well, I can do three hours on the weekend. No, that's not the same thing. 30 to 45 minutes a day, every day, slow drip, like water torture. Mm -hmm. But you want to just basically get inculcated into this so that you believe the gospel according to the Project Management Institute. And is that doable? Yes. Can you do it in a matter of weeks? Yes. But you need to set aside the time and know it's going to be that block of time, 30 to 45 minutes a day on top of a training experience. And there are myriad training experiences out there.
0: Well, how long is the exam when you sit for the exam? Is it uh, 20 minutes and you're done or what's it look like?
1: It's four hours of your life. And during those four hours, you're answering 200 questions, of which 175 actually count. There are 25 validation questions. It's PMI going, hmm, this might make a good question. Let's toss this one in there. And they, they throw in their new little questions they're trying out. But you have to get Out of the 200 questions, you need to be running about 70% in order to pass this thing. You need to get about a 70%. And the pass rate on it, generally speaking, is about 65%. About two out of three people who take the exam pass it. But that includes people who didn't study at all and people who have studied their brains out for two months. And that's probably the better place to go.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, one last question I have for you, Carl. And when you, when I met you years ago, you were going to talk a little bit about motivation. And so back then, I remember, and I thought it was a bit creepy at first, you had your uh, your digital camera back in the day when we had cameras, not phones, and you were shooting photos of people. And then you rigged it up on your PowerPoint, and everybody was looking. And, and that was your jumping off point for motivation. So uh, two parts of this question. Number one, what were you hoping to accomplish with that? And two, has your perspective on motivation changed since uh, since that day? And, and
1: largely, the answer to I'll answer the second question first: Has my perspective changed? No, because I think people are still energized by being recognized by other people, by being acknowledged, by being. Pat on the back. Hey, good job. Well done. You matter. And and that's that's crucial. You matter. And that's why I did the pictures. The reason I did the, as you call them, creepy pictures was, <laughs> um, was because what I wanted to reinforce to people is that they matter. And what was interesting is the pictures would show up. Somebody would tap somebody else on the shoulder. Hey, Rich, that's you. Look, look, look. And... The reason is they're getting acknowledged. They're getting appreciated. They're getting recognized. And when you become the boss, just so you know, the more you can do to actually acknowledge accomplishment and when people get things right. It's very easy to acknowledge when people screw things up royally, but it's much harder to actually catch them doing things well. And if you can find a way to catch somebody... Doing something even subtle that's just right. When you spot them doing something right, you need to turn to them and say, just so you know, I I saw the way that you said thank you and helped out that clerk. And I just want you to know I wept openly. That was absolutely perfect. That was genius. That's the kind of stuff that genuinely motivates. All the T-shirts, all the other stuff in the world, they don't do harm. But by the same token, there's nothing more enriching personally than gratitude.
0: Wow. And and you don't have to bring donuts and special things in. It's just a verbal acknowledgement.
1: Yeah. Although I will take a double chocolate. You know,
0: I'm I'm totally well, good on you that. You and me both. But uh, I love it. Well, Carl, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show this morning. Before I let you go, um, how can my audience get a hold of you for training, consulting, speaking. I mean, if you're looking for an awesome speaker, you need to contact Carl and and have him talk to you about motivation. How can people find you?
1: I'm always an email away. It's carl, C-A-R-L, at carlpritchard.com. And it's P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D, but it's carl at com. And if you do decide to email me, I will always get back to you within 24 hours, which means, because I get these emails, it's been three days, and I never heard back from you, and I always email them back, check your spam box, or if if that's happening, let's change media. Give me a phone call, 301-606-6519, but I will do anything I can to facilitate your enabling some of these practices.
0: Well, it's funny. I didn't want to bring this up because times have changed since 2002. But I do remember you making this promise. If you email me, I will respond. And and I thought, now, surely that was before email was. And we had devices on phone. We didn't have that back then. And I think you even mentioned if somebody emails you on Christmas, what would your response be? Ho, ho, ho. And there you have it. Every time. Okay. Well, I'm glad to see you're holding true to that promise. That is absolutely something I could not guarantee. But if you can do it, I'm going to push myself. So, Carl, thank you for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom with my audience. Thanks. And thanks again to my special guest, Carl Pritchard. Again, Carl is the principal and founder of Pritchard Management Associates. You can reach him at carlpritchard.com. I highly recommend him as a speaker. His work in getting people prepared for the PMP exam is legendary. Please reach out to him. You know, here at the Boss Builders, it is our mission to create the next great generation of bosses we have really four options now that you can use if you or your organization is interested in taking on this project number one of course is our famous boss builder academy it is video driven something you can do as needed short five to seven minute videos in a foundational build of topics to make you a great boss At Boss Builders, we also do our on-site driving results courses. If it is done end-to-end, it is four solid days of training, but you can break it up into half-day increments or even two-hour increments if you choose. Third option, if you are interested, you can license our driving results curriculum and have your own organization's trainers train your people using your organizational flavor. And we also offer the individual Boss Builder Academy that is video-dripped, available in English or now in Spanish. To find out more, you can reach us online at thebossbuilders.com or call us directly at 931-221-2988. Thank you for tuning in, and until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, and boss on. Goodbye.